Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. And thanks, Luke, for that uh, wonderful reminder that the blood of Christ is so important, it's so precious, it's unlike any other kind of blood. It's the only blood by which a, a man or a woman can have their sins washed away. And uh, just think of uh, John's Gospel when John the Baptist cried out and uh, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away not only the sin of the world, our sin in particular. And so we come this morning as people who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We must have been dirty to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, and indeed we we were, and in some respects we still are. But it's to the Lamb that we look. It's in the Lamb that we trust. Lamb of God. Our Father God, do you know our great need? And Lord, you know that there is no way we could meet that need in and of ourselves. If we could, we would not need Jesus. But he just didn't make salvation possible, but that he achieved it for us. This morning we come to humbly thank you, Lord Jesus. You suffered the death that was ours, but you paid the price that we could never pay. That you lived the life that we can never live, that is perfect, sinless, in order that we might be redeemed and reconciled to God the Father. And this morning we come with humble gratitude, humbled by your glory, humbled by your work, and humbled by our great need that only you could meet. So we thank you this morning. We ask, Lord, as we come to your word, that your word would speak to us that, Lord, it would jump right out of the pages of our Bibles and that it would penetrate our minds and our hearts as you make much of yourself and as you help us to see how much we need you. And this morning we ask, the Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to bring us understanding about the truths of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Saviour, that there is indeed none like him and that there will never be none like him. And this morning we just ask that you would make much of him for our need, for your glory and our joy, we pray. And the church said, let's come to our text this morning. I think it's uh, really important to understand that um, 
the, the, the passage that Tim read for us, verses 15 to 20, really follow on from the, uh, the Apostles' uh, prayer for the Colossians. It's important that we don't isolate the text. Uh, we don't read and interpret the Bible in isolation with the whole context. Uh, and when we come to the book of Colossians, and particularly chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, we, we just don't isolate it and make it some kind of new thing. It's really following on from something that's been building. And we know that's to do with the gospel. We know Paul wants to make much of Christ. I mean, that's Paul's theology. He is Christ-centered. That he counted all things as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And so really, uh, verses 15 to 20 of chapter 1 are following on from something that's been building, and particularly Paul's prayer for the Colossians, that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then verse 10 uh, says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saint the saints in light now the reason for the prayer is given in verse 10 verse 10 begins with so so what I mean, so what? Why, do, why, why does he ask that God would fill them with the knowledge of his spirit, uh, uh, the, the knowledge of his will, sorry, in all spiritual wisdom and un understanding? Why is Paul asking God to do this? Are you with me? Can you see it in the text? And then verse 10 says, So, so here's the reason why he's asking. Here's the reason why he's praying so that you will walk. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10 is your reason. So the Apostle Paul prayed and he believed that the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding would affect the Christians at Colossae to the point that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would please the Lord in all respects, that they would bear fruit in every good work and that they would increase in the knowledge of God. So how do you do all these things? How are you able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? How are you able to please Him with respect to all things? And how are you able to bear fruit in every good work? And how are you able to increase in the knowledge of God? You want to know how? Get Paul the Apostle to pray for you and to ask that God would fill you with His will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's how, that's what it's saying there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Paul is praying for these people and he is asking God that God would do something. That God would do it. That God would cause these people to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That God would cause these people to please the Lord in all respects. That God would would, would cause the, the bearing of fruit and every good work. And that God would cause the increase in the knowledge of himself. These folks are surely marks of a true Christian. These are marks of a true Christian. And Paul teaches that these characteristics are achieved only by the grace of God because they are not things that we deserve. And they are not things that we can achieve in and of ourselves in regard to spiritual things. So these are achieved only by the grace of God as he reveals his will in the heart of a Christian. These characteristics are unachievable in our own strength. How do we know this? Because verse 9 says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so the structure of verse 9 can only mean that the one whom Paul is praying to is the same one he asks to fill the Colossians with the will of God so that they would walk, please, bear, and increase. One he was praying to is God himself. That's who we pray to. Isn't it? That's who Paul has always prayed to, unless there is another God that you pray to. Therefore, one cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They cannot please him in all respects. They cannot bear fruit in every good work. And they cannot increase in the knowledge of him without his enabling. He must enable that. Oh, it's not that people can't do any of these things in and of their own strength. That's not what I'm really saying, because many do. But the difference is one of true Christianity versus religion. The difference is one does in what one does in their own strength, and the other receives it by and through the strength of God. There is a difference. There are many who are striving to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, to bear good fruit in everything, and to increase in the knowledge of God. But their effort is in vain. Why? Because they are doing it in their own strength. Here's a challenge for us, though. As true Christians, are we walking? As true Christians, are we walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Are you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord as a true Christian? Do you believe that your walk 
that is your life, that is your talk, your thoughts, your every action is worthy of the Lord. I'm sure if we're honest, we would all have to say, no. At least not all the time. Why? Because we're honest. But also because 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10 says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If you are saying you have not sinned, you are deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Oh, there are many who claim they aren't sinners, and yet their lives display something different. We are happy to say we have sinned, are we not? Because we know the truth, that we have sinned. And so rather than deceive ourselves, or worse, to make God out to be a liar, it would be far better to confess that we fail miserably to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In fact, we fail miserably to do anything the Lord commands us to do. Let's face it. Let's be honest. That's why we need Christ, because he is the only one who has kept all the commands perfectly. And God doesn't require us just to keep some commands, but we must keep them all perfectly. And only Christ has done. Now, it's not that we don't deeply desire to walk in such a way, right? Everyone here this morning desires to walk in a, in, a, in a way that is worthy of the Lord. That's your heart's desire. That's why you come to church on a Sunday, because you want to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. That's why you read your Bible every day. That's why you pray often and regularly because you want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's why you trust that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and therefore you go out and you tell people the gospel, because you want to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord, in a way that makes Christ worthy. Amen? We really desire that, don't we? But seriously, don't we? No, I'm serious. Don't we desire to walk in that way? Then what's going on? Why did you struggle to respond 
the way you did. Because you know as well as I do that we would just be happy to hang a dark sheet over our heads so the Lord could not see through it. Because we struggle to walk in that way. If not all of us, then most of us. It's not that we don't deeply desire to walk in such a way, but the sin which continues to linger in us, that's why we confess our sin, because it's still lingering in us. And the sin which continues to linger in the world, that's why it's that's why we gravitate towards it. It's out there. It's easy to do. And then we have the prince of darkness who may choose to tempt us away from trusting Christ. And we have these things going on that are working against us working against our desires and our attempts to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, if we consider the thoughts in our heads, if we consider the feelings we have, if we consider how we spend our time, where it is we spend our time, if we consider our lives and put it all on paper, write it all down, every moment of our lives, what we think, what we want to say to people, but we're just too afraid to say it, or the things that we do say about people, but not to them. Or, or the things that are in our heart that we don't want anyone to know. Imagine if we just wrote it all down on paper and we looked at it. Let's do that. Let's see what we're really like. And then let's just pray over it and ask the Lord to cleanse us from those things. What a great thing that would be. But that's the reality, folks. Be honest. That's the reality. We are fallen people saved only by the grace of God. Yes, we are saints, but unfortunately we are saints who sin. No, I still, I, I still don't quite get it, to be honest. I don't know whether I'm a sinner who's a saint or a saint who sins. I think I'm just both. All the time. And so if we did that and we put it all on paper, how would our lives compare to the worthiness of our Lord? I'm sure if perfection is the standard, then we fail miserably. But you know what? Can I encourage you? That's okay. That's okay because none of these failings can hinder God from doing what is necessary for God to do for his glory and for our joy. 
nothing. Nothing can hinder him. Nothing can restrain him. Nothing can hold him back from doing what is necessary for his glory and for your joy and my joy. Wouldn't it be so joyful to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord always? Yeah. Do you get excited about being able to do that? Is there joy in your heart to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? There should be. There should be real joy in your heart to to live that way, to live in a way that you know this is making much of Christ. This is bringing glory to him. Even he thinks so. And and we should have that that desire to do that. (laughs) Because it is a great thing. But despite our failings, Nothing can hinder God from doing what is necessary for his glory and our joy. And that's what this passage is all about. That is why we read in verses 12 to 14, giving thanks to the Father, capital F, not just any Father. It's referring to God the Father who has qualified us. And see the words I've highlighted, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. To share means there are other saints. It's not just us getting it all. It's not just about us. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So verse 12 He qualifies us. He qualifies us. Amen? There should be an amen. He qualifies us. Which means that we were once in a state of disqualification. Do you get it? We were in a state of being disqualified in an unworthy condition, not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. But now he has qualified us. That is Romans verse three, uh, chapter 3, sorry, verses 9 to 12. It's not up there. But anyway, let me read it for you where it says, turn there with me and look at it. Look at what God says through the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome and is just not an isolated truth or some other truth. This is doctrinal truth. This is the standard across the board in Christianity, Romans 3, verses 9 to 12. Paul writing there to the church at Rome, and he's dealing with Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. Jews are saying, no, it's all about the law, about doing the law. About heritage. And he says in verse 9, What then are we better than they? Paul referring to himself as a Jew. Are we better than they? I'm sorry to say that many in the churches think they are better than they. Many in the churches think that they are better than they. I don't drink. 
I, I don't do drugs. Uh, you know, I, I don't live in the birdcage. I, I don't do all those things that they do. Remember the tax collector and the Pharisee. Paul says, are we better than they? Not at all. Surely we've got to be just a little bit better than they. Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all. All what? All under sin. Under sin. Not on top of sin. Not side by side with sin, but under sin. You know what that means? To be under the rule of someone means they are dominating you. They have rule over you. That's what it means to be under. Remember Ephesians? That all things were subjected to Christ. They were put under him. So to be under sin really means that sin is dominant. Sin is controlling That's why Paul in Romans goes on and he says that we were slaves to sin. It's the same idea. To be a doulos to sin is to be controlled by sin. To be mastered by sin. That's why he also says that men love darkness and not light. And then he says we were transferred. Out of darkness into light. We were rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred. It says here in Romans 9, already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Verse 10, quoting the Old Testament, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Nobody's looking for God. Nobody understands God. Nobody is righteous. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Folks, that's the reality. To be without Christ. That's the reality to not have experienced the grace of God. There is none righteous, not even one. No, I just really don't think that we we get what it's like to be lost until we understand this. To be spiritually dead, the Bible calls it, until we understand this. I, I don't think we, we truly can really feel for the unsaved until we understand this. I don't think we truly will have a desire to proclaim the gospel to the lost until we understand this. Remember Paul in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says that I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. And then we jump over here to chapter 3, and, and he gives us the reality of people without Christ. And he says the problem, he doesn't say here, you know what, 
they're, they're, they're drinking, they're smoking, they're, they're, you know, they're prostitutes, they're this and they're that. What does he say? He says, there is none righteous. The problem is righteous. But they are not righteous. We go, there you go. They're not living a good life. They're not living a right life. No, that's not what that means. What that means is that there is none who is righteous except Christ. Not even one. Not even one Jew or one Greek or Gentile. None. Except Christ. Verse 11, there is none who understands. Understands what? Understands God. Understands God's ways. Understands God's word understands Christ there is none who seeks for God what does that mean there is none nobody is searching for God people are looking for something maybe a God but not the God so let's never make that mistake there is no such thing as a seeker that's why we are not a seeker sensitive church because we don't don't pretend that people are actually seeking God. Because it's not biblical. But we believe God is drawing people. That he draws people to himself. Rather than people are actually seeking him in and of their own effort. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Therefore, the condition of humanity including us prior to salvation, is one indeed of disqualification. You know, I think about my attaining Australian citizenship, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, and, and there were certain conditions that I was required to meet. And you've probably done this before, where you've had to qualify to meet, to, to do something, to, to achieve something, uh, your driver's licence, you know, to achieve your, your degree, uh, diploma, whatever it is, you had to meet certain conditions. For me, with my Australian citizenship, I had to meet certain conditions. And following the achievement of meeting those conditions, I received my citizenship because I met the conditions. I basically qualified myself or citizenship by meeting the conditions. When we consider our heavenly citizenship, there are conditions, folks, that must be met. There are conditions that must be met. And if we were to sum up those conditions in one word, the condition is this, perfection. Perfection. Remember the rich young ruler? He said to Jesus, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you've kept all the commandments. In other words, you've kept them perfectly. You've been perfect. What does the, the guy say? Yes. <laughs> That's what religious people do. 
I say, yes, I've done a great job. I'm doing really well, actually living perfectly. Then Jesus gives him a command. Go sell all you have and give it give to the poor. And then follow me. A command. Commands him. He had to obey that command. And what does he do? Walks away. Sad. Why? A number of reasons, but I actually honestly think he realized he wasn't perfect. All the, the rules he'd been keeping, all the stuff that he'd been doing was for what? Nothing. That's why, you know, they go on to say, well, then how can a man be saved? And Jesus said, well, guess what? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And some people will say, oh, yeah, there was a place in those days that was called the eye of the needle, and camels would walk through it. Jesus meant literally it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Do you know what that means? It's impossible for a man to save himself. But a man cannot save himself. To think that a camel can go through an eye of a needle is stupid. But even worse than that is to think that a man can save himself. That's why Jesus said, it is impossible for a man to save himself, but not with God. Nothing is impossible for God. And so I attained my citizenship. I became a qualified Australian citizen. When we consider our heavenly citizenship, there are conditions we must meet, and if we sum them up, really one word perfection that is god requires perfection in order for anyone to attain his citizenship and so the the highly religious person goes about doing all they can to achieve achieve it and 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 meet the conditions and yet they make the mistake of comparing their effort to that of others and so after a time of much effort much good works much high morals and realizing they are doing a far better job at achieving the standard than others are, they conclude that they have truly achieved and met the conditions. Oh, gosh. That's, that's horrible. That's horrible. And then there is the one who reads the conditions and after consideration turns away because they conclude that the conditions are far too difficult for a person such as themselves to ever attain to those conditions, that to reach perfection is impossible. And we know, don't we, which of these has truly understood what is required? Don't we? And yet both are in the same predicament. Both fall short, both cannot meet the conditions, and both are in a state of disqualification. And so we ask, how then does one meet the condition? How then does one qualify? Well, verse 12 to 14 answers that question for us. 
sorry. <clears throat> and, and it answers that question for us. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So how are those conditions met? How is one made qualified when they are disqualified by their very nature? The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light for He, for He rescued us. But these can only be achieved as the Father Himself meets the conditions and He meets them in Christ who lived a sinless life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Who was righteous, who was perfect in every way, meets those conditions. Not only does he meet the conditions, but verse 13 tells us that he rescues us and transfers us. And so to rescue or to deliver uh, is the Greek word. Uh, it is often interpreted by using the analogy that a person is drowning and then a life boy is thrown out and that the, the person must take hold of the life boy in order to be rescued. Sounds like a great analogy but it's not the reality of Scripture. You see, according to Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you, he made alive. Okay, he made you alive. What does that mean? Well, to be made alive means only one thing. You were dead. Doesn't it? You don't make an alive person alive because they're already alive. <laughs> right? You can only make a dead person alive. And God, through the Apostle Paul, says, you he made alive who were dead. How were you dead? We've already gone through that. Sin. We all have sinned. And so the proper analogy is that a man is drowned at the bottom of the ocean in its dark depths. And the Lord comes and transfers the limp dead man from the dark depths into the light so that he can make him alive. And then as the Lord does his work, that man 
comes alive. He is awakened. He takes a deep breath. <gasps> His eyes are open to the glory of God. That man who was once dead, just as Lazarus was dead in the tomb, is made alive to Christ, to God. Do you get it? Don't you just love it? Don't you just humbled by that? What did Paul say? To give thanks. Giving thanks, it's not a one-off thing. It's continual. What are you thankful for? To the Father who has qualified us. To the Father who has rescued us. To the Father who has transferred us. Out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Folks, there is no life where there is death. There is no breath where there is not life. And humanity, according to Scripture, is dead in their trespasses and sins. Oh, their problem is not gambling. Their problem is not alcoholism. Their problem is not drugs. Their problem is not prostitution. Their problem is not that they live in the birdcage or that they depend on the government for their income, that is not their problem. Their problem is one of sin, and the true Christian gets it. The true Christian gets that the biggest problem a person has is sin. Imagine saving a person out of alcoholism. What a great job. Give yourself a hand. And we can. But how will they stand before the God of this universe as people who don't drink anymore? Saved out of alcoholism. Imagine helping a person to get off drugs. When they stand before the Lord, their God, their maker, he is their God and he is their maker they will stand there as being drug free because what judgment they will be under judgment of the great white for all our effort all we've done is help them to the great white throne. Oh, folks, honestly, sin is the problem. See, a person will be judged not because of their alcoholism, not because they do drugs. They have not Christ. They have not Christ. When in all our effort to, to 
to go and help make this world a better place. They all count for nothing at the end of the day if they should stand before the great white throne and judge them. Let me ask you a question. What evangelism are you doing at the moment? What evangelism are you doing at the moment? And how are you doing it? I mean, it's. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw you into a guilt trip here. And if you're in a guilt trip at the moment, you know, that's not what I want to achieve here. What I want to achieve is, those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Are we, first of all, doing evangelism Personal evangelism, you know, like telling people we already know about the Lord Jesus and being persistent and persistent and just keep at it. And then the other question is, how are you doing evangelism? Now this term we're going to be doing bridging the gap, uh, bridging the bridge again, and we want to bridge the gap. <laughs> we want to be like Isaiah, in, 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 you know, when the Lord calls out for somebody to send, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, "Send me. I will go." I think, wow, what inspired that man to go, knowing that later on the Lord says to him, "You will go." And you will tell these people everything I command you to tell them, everything I give you to tell them. And guess what, though, Isaiah? None of them will listen to you or believe you. I will harden their hearts against you, but against my word. Do you get that? He said, in fact, guess what? I'm going to duplicate you. They're going to cut you in half. Those people whose hearts I've hardened are going to cut you to heart, uh, in half and I will harden them against my word. They will not believe it. They will not receive it. But that is my will. And what does Isaiah say? Send me. I'll go. <laughs> will you go? Will you go? Because he is still asking us that question. The Great Commission. Go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of every nation. Go and preach the gospel. He is still asking us that question. And are we obeying? Yes. Why? Because he is doing his will. He is doing his will, as he always does. You know, I just thought about this, and we've talked about this before, and I'll close here. I wanted to get into verse 15 and uh, verse, verse 20, but I'll save that for next week. But I want you to think about this next week as you look at that passage in verse 15 to 20 and ask yourself, who is Christ? Oh, he died on the cross. He shed his blood. He was raised again from the tomb and he lives forevermore. And you know what? There is more to Jesus than just that. 
And Paul says that, that, that you know, when uh, you're not only just to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or to please him in, all, in respect to all things or to bear fruit in every good work, but he says, increase in the knowledge of God. And that's not just something that's happened and that's it. You don't know enough about God. And you will never know enough about him. But don't be like many who think, oh, well, I can't know enough about him, so it's not much worth knowing. I just need to know he's a loving God. And I'm happy with that. No. Paul's saying here, increase. Continual. Keep going. There is more to know about God than you think. He is a God who cannot be fathomed. His depths cannot be plumbed. So keep going. And so verses 15 to 20 really give us an insight into who this God is, who this Christ is. And we'll look at that next time. But I want to end here. As we talk about evangelism and we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord <laughs> and living our lives to please him in all respects. What are you doing now? Pleasing him? Bearing good fruit? You know, let me say, we, we shouldn't have to give you steps on how to bear good fruit. Do you know why? As mature Christians reading your Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's a given. It is a given. You bear good fruit. Because Christ is in you. you. You belong to the vine, don't you? Unless you don't belong to the vine. Because a branch that's not connected to the vine doesn't bear fruit. gets chucked away. If you're not bearing fruit, you may not be connected to the vine. Harsh words, I know, but it's just how it is. But you are connected to the vine, aren't you? Amen. And so being connected to the vine means you bear fruit. So I shouldn't have to tell you how to bear fruit. Amen. Right. No more application in my sins. I shouldn't have to give it. <laughs> but what I want to give you is Christ. And what I want to say to end here is that we have, do you have a book like this? It's called a Bible. Everybody put up your Bibles if you've got one here this morning. Or your phone or your device. It's all good. We're in modern technology. It's okay. We know that the first book begins with Genesis. And we get past the introductions and all of that. And we get to the, the real stuff. The book of Genesis, chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, let's not make the mistake of thinking that, that that's where it all began. It did not begin there. It did not begin at creation. Because God existed in eternity past, before creation. And when we make the mistake of starting at creation, we miss out on some. Very important doctrine. 
And that doctrine is that he existed before the creation of the world. And he decreed things before the creation of the world. But we get it here from Genesis chapter 1 through to Revelation, the book of Revelation. The complete counsel of God for us. Yes, there may have been some other books written that we don't have in, in our canon here. But we have exactly what God has intended for us to have. He has preserved his word. The, 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 the flowers in the field will wither. The grass will die, but the word of God endures forever. And so we have it here. Genesis to Revelation. God's word. God has decreed it. You know, prophecy is not something that is given and we're just really waiting for it to happen to see whether it's true. Biblical prophecy is a given. Do you know that? When God declares something in his word, it is done. And when we look back at the Old Testament and we see things like Isaiah 53, we can trust his prophecy is going to happen. It's not, it might happen, but it will happen. So the book of Revelation, has it happened? Well, not if you're still here with me. <laughs> um, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Do you believe it will be? Do you believe that he will fulfill it exactly as he declares it? Why don't we live like we believe it? Why don't we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Pleasing to him in all respects. You said you believed it. Didn't you? So why tell me? Why don't we live like we Craig Crowshaw wrote a book called Christian Atheists. Oxymoron. Christian Atheists. Someone who believes in God but doesn't believe there is a God. What is a Christian Atheist? Someone who says they believe but lives as though it's not true. Someone who says they believe but lives as though there is no God. And that his word cannot be trusted. Someone who gets to a passage like this and sees where it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and ignores it. Pleasing to him in all respects to all things and ignores it. Why? Praise God that we believe. And praise God that he is working his will in and through us so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And folks, isn't that something to be joyful about? That, that God is doing this. That God is working for us. If he is for us, 
come on, if he is for us, everyone I can hear, the NIV, NASB, I can hear ESV going on, it's cool. If he is for us, do nothing, nothing can be against us. Do you get that? Nothing. Do you believe that? You know, we're in our Bible study, and I will close honestly here. <laughs> On Thursday night, we looked at Ephesians 6, and uh, turn there with me. And I just want to encourage you in this. It's important. And uh, we get to that great passage referring to the, uh, the whole armor of God. And uh, I, we need to start at verse 10. When, you, when you're talking about the armor of God, you need to start at verse 10. Do you know why? Because Paul says, finally. <laughs> He's moving into something. Like I say, finally. But actually, Paul says it twice. Yeah, a bit like me. I got it from Paul. Verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Did you get that? Because if you don't get that, you will not understand what follows on in terms of the armor of God. Verse 10, heads up the rest of that passage. The whole armor of God depends on verse 10. 10. Finally, be strong where? In the. See, outside of the Lord, there is no strength. It says, be strong in the Lord. It's in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Then, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. What is the armor of God? Let me tell you this. The whole armor of God is not separate to Christ. You cannot separate the armor of God from Christ. If you were to put on the armor of God and not have Christ, you have not put on the armor of God. So what's more important? Be in Christ. Because in Christ, you get the whole armor of God. You get protection for your heart, for your head. God protects his people. God cares for his people. And yet it's funny in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says uh, in verse 13, you know, but even if you should suffer harm, if you should suffer harm for proving what is zealous and good, or for proving zealous for what is good. And if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, Peter says to those people, you are blessed. So the armor of God doesn't mean you don't get hurt. In fact, we know the armor of God means you will get hurt. The armor of God means you will be attacked. The armor of God means you will be intimidated. The armor of God means that you will be threatened. The armor of God means you may suffer persecution. Why else would you need armor for? You 
if you weren't going to suffer, you wouldn't need it. Paul says, put it on. And you can only have it in Christ. But my encouragement to us as we think about him and as we put our trust in him daily and as we strive and desire to walk in a manner worthy of him, Let's not do it without him. Let's do it like we need him. Because reality says we do. So as you go out this week and evangelize the lost, as you go out this week from here, even here this morning, as we, as we finish the service and we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, We know that we can because he's qualified us. He has rescued us. And he has transferred us out of that, that, that life where it could never happen and out of that life where we could never do it and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. <laughs> that is powerful, is it not? Let's live like it. Let's not be Christian atheists and sit here and shake our heads and say the amens and yet do nothing about it. Do absolutely nothing about it. Because that would mean something else. Let's pray. Father God, just help us, we pray, for your glory to, to not just be hearers of your word, Lord, to sit here and just hear the word, whether we agree with it or not. It is your word that we've seen on the screen. We can't argue with that. We might not want to argue with my word that I've explained it, how I've explained it, but there have been your words up there on the screen. In our Bibles, Lord, that really challenge us, challenges us and really makes much of you. And for that, we just can't be ignorant. So help us, Lord, to put it into practice. Help us, Lord, to live like we believe your word, to live as though we are new creations. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And those old ways, those old desires, those sinful desires, even though they linger on, they do not control us. For we are controlled by you. We live for you. We are empowered by you. Same idea as being controlled by you empowered by you, enabled by you, filled by you. Without you, ooh, we can't do it on our own. And Lord, we just don't want to be like that. Help us, Father God, we pray, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, or as Paul says to the church at Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called. So help us, we pray, for your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.